So that's my little introduction. Now we are going to welcome the right Reverend Holy Lance Walnow up to the stage. There is no way I can give him justice introducing him, but Lance is a blessing. You will be blessed by him. So Lance Walnow. Oh, so great. Praise the other God. night we're doing the truth and liberty. And uh, you know, I take everything Andrew says seriously. He goes, you know what? Lance is mostly a blessing. <laughs> and then uh, I asked him on the broadcast live. I said, no, no, no. As later on, I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, no, you, you're, I mean, you are a blessing. I said, I just wanted to know what part wasn't there. <laughs> All right. So, you know, you mentioned a couple of things tonight, which is so important, like not preaching. But we're... It's tempting to want to say what we already know to each other. We already know those things. Hi, Cousin Billy. How you doing? Good to see you. But uh, Mario Murillo isn't here yet, is he? Good. I'm going to steal some of his material. <laughs> so we were doing Flashpoint last night. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, there you go. We aren't canceled yet. <laughs> so uh, Flashpoint, and, and he says something interesting. It was right after Biden's bizarre uh, triumph of the will, you know, satanic speech he did up there in Philadelphia. <laughs> with the weird, like the architecture right behind it looked like the, the Reichstag Eagle and, you know, National Socialism. And, and Mario said this. He said, do you remember when Elijah appeared before Ahab. And what did Ahab say? Are you the one that's troubling Israel? He said, when you're under the influence of a Jezebel witchcraft spirit, you blame the solution as the problem. It's not just him. It's, it's a delusional spirit that has gotten over these high places. When I started doing my seven mountains thing, the picture I had actually be, has become ominously even more relevant now. Because what it means is these seven verticals of influence that shape nations and cultures, put like a little flag right there. And let's just take, uh, you know, the government, and uh, we'll take the media, because these two, man, they really work together like a tag team. They both lie and they feed this stuff back and forth and blast it out to the population as though it's the truth, right? But what people have to catch is, in America, some sort of an insidious, let's put like an octopus here, is working its way to the top of these institutional mind molders of culture. So that the people at the top of the woke corporations are under the zombie influence. The people at the top of academia are under the it's a It's a dangerous thing when you think about to be in the gates of influence and not have the blood of Jesus as a covering. Who knows how many times God saved your butt by not answering your prayer for promotion because you would have been led into temptation that would have overpowered you. 
Everybody thinks they can handle stuff till they get there. But there's voices talking to the, the clergy over here. Well, you got to know how this works. So this, well, I use the blue. We have a color-coordinated illustration here. We got the church over here. We got the family over here. We got the education here, government, and I'll put the law over there, Supreme Court. We got the media, and uh, I'm doing something different. I'm going to break it out here tonight. I'm putting the arts and the media together because there's no news anymore. There's just opinion journalism. So I'm redefining the seven mountains as we speak. Creating whole worlds and universes with a stroke of a pen. And I'm putting science, falsely so-called, and the technology of medicine over here because it has emerged since COVID as our new adversary. When I heard Yuri Hanani, that um, Jewish atheist madman who is a consultant to the Davos crowd, when I heard him say that science is the new religion, look, when scientists said shut things down, the mosques and the synagogues and the churches all submitted. Science is the new God. He put it together. When I heard that, I said, you got your own mountain now, buddy. <laughs> because the, uh, this is my theory of the case. That when Jesus says, I will build my church and the Gates of hell shall not prevail. I'm very pragmatic about this. Gates are the places where Satan exerts the greatest influence over human beings who have the greatest influence over the minds of masses. That's why there's so much warfare over who becomes a Supreme Court justice. There's leverage at the top of that mountain. Those decrees can go throughout the whole land. That's why it's... Uh, so significant, who's a president. That's why it's so significant, whether you're on YouTube or not. Yeah, they'll take you down. They just took me down. I lost 200,000 subscribers last week. And I don't even know what I said. And I'm not nearly as offensive as Andrew. <laughs> Truth and liberty is dropping bombs left and right. I mean, he's like a bull in a china closet. I'm the I'm abstract, I'm witty, I'm humorous, I'm saying things in code language. They can't even tell me what I said. It's just my existence annoys them. Anyway, I want you to catch this. Over here is business. This is the economics mountain. It's very important to understand this because I, just, I, think we, I think we have to go through a new definition. The church, which has traditionally been over here, we used to think was separated from everything else and we'd pray for everything else and God would send a revival over here and suck everybody in like some kind of a gigantic magnet. <laughs> you did the church, revival. <laughs> Honestly, this is, this is, I've been there. I've been there. This is my theory of the case. I was taught this by my Pentecostal forefathers. And uh, we'd pray for those mountains, of course, but we wouldn't go in because the highest of the highest calling of the world was to go preach the gospel. So I left the secular world, that sordid world, corporate greed and money. Then I went into the religion mountain and discovered religion, greed, and money. 
I left it thinking I was being sanctified. And I, as I'm over there in the church mountain, being very obedient, my wife and me, pastor in a small church in Rhode Island, there was great things I could have done. I was in the corporate halls of power in New York with a company that was in the New York Stock Exchange. I had great opportunities, country clubs, continentals. I left it all like a rich young ruler in order to do what Jesus called me to do. I was very sincere about it. And while I was pastoring a church in Rhode Island, a guy called me up and said he wanted me to do work with the United Nations. And I said, oh, just like the devil, <laughs> trying to get me out of my primary calling as the holy man of God with the word of God. <laughs> Nay, I shall not do so. And he said, uh, no, you don't understand. The, the, the United Nations has uh, Dobsons in the United Nations. I mean, focus on the families in the United Nations. Not, they got a whole group of NGOs, non-government organizations that are all philanthropic, charitable organizations that go around the world and do good stuff. I said, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to go. I, th you know, I thought the United Nations was like all the countries would be there and I was, the Antichrist might be in the audience. And I, I didn't know it was there. <laughs> I was appropriately nervous. He says, now, you're going to talk to these NGOs. It's, it's going to be a conference of NGOs. And I felt like the Lord said, do it, go into all the world. This is the problem we got. We haven't gone into all the world. We want all the world to come into us. We haven't gone into all the world, but that's why it's so great what Karis is doing. It's got a school of government, school of the arts. I mean, it's kind of unusual in a way because Andrew's so focused on the word, Bible, faith, and somehow like he and I both intersected in the same universe because I'm all about seven mountains going out there and he's all focused, very focused on answering the call of God, fidelity to the word of God and the, and the faith of God. But out of that comes access into those seven mountains. See how that works? That's the right way to do it. You bring them in to train them, to send them out to occupy. So anyway, I don't want to get lost in the sauce here, but uh, I'm doing this uh, United Nations thing and I have to speak to this 300 NGO leaders in Kelowna, British Columbia. And the woman I'm working with is a Muslim lady uh, from Tunisia. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking, this is all so uncomfortable for a faith Pentecostal like myself <laughs> who has left the world system. And so, but... Uh, there she is. And I remember I, I was allowed to sell products and I just had a bunch of products on angels and working with angels for divine appointments. It was a strange kind of a group. And I'm handing out. But I remember when I did that, my message for them, I was thinking, how am I going to ever talk to these people? What am I going to say? And the Lord gave me a message and he, gave, he gave, me, gave me something to say to them. And I began to realize that we could preach, we could take our way of thinking into the world and we don't have to shock them and jolt them. We could actually speak the language of Babylon and still reveal Jehovah. And it was opening up a whole new vista to me about how we have to be able to, God raises up people to speak the language of economics and finance to go into that mountain to be a witness for Christ. God raises up the people to speak the language of media and arts. These are all tongues. And God wants you to have an anointed tongue that can go into any one of these arenas and be a, re and be a revelation of Christ. But that red spirit, that thing that has taken over America it's going to the gates of influence, G-O-I. Where are the gates of hell? I'm telling you, the gates of hell are at the top of these institutions. Think about it. Just, just think about it. At the top, Wall Street, that's where the finance markets are. 
You got most of the banks come down to like three or four major banks. All the media, what is it, Mercedes? How many of the media outlets? You see all these media channels? There's like six corporations, five corporations own all media. It's, it's, it's why a pyramid is like that weird sign of the Illuminati because all power keeps moving up until you have a concentrated power of an elite ruling over others. This is the danger of the vax or digital currency or tracking you. It's because man's nature wants to control humanity and the devil wants to control those that will control humanity. That's where you end up with your beast system on the back of your right hand or your forehead. And so we are right now battling these high places but it's not just nationally. So here's something interesting. I'm a student of history and I, I find history under the anointing will reveal things. And so if you just be patient with it, the Holy Ghost will teach you proverbs and lessons about what goes on in history and what's the extraction you can make. And there was one fascinating story I read. It was a battle of Julius Caesar in his campaign in Gaul where he was up against the tribal leader of the German tribes named Vercingetorix uh, around 43 BC. And, and Vercingetorix had 130,000 strong German soldiers up against Caesar, 30% more troops than Caesar had. And Caesar's far from Italy, cut off from his supply lines, and he's tracking down Vercingetorix. He's gonna break up the resistance in Gaul because he's gonna annex it to the Roman Empire. So, Vercingetorix retreats to Elysium, a stronghold on a mountain. And he goes there and he, built, and he, he goes into the city with his army. He has food, he has provision. Now Caesar, who will, uh, he's Roman, so we'll put him in red. Caesar brings his army outside Elysium and now you have a siege. Well, what's Caesar to do? he uh, decides to build a wall. He builds an 11-mile wall, two stories high, around Elysium so that it cannot get out to get provision and it cannot communicate, and he's now got them under siege. The problem is the word has gotten out from that general to all the tribes, and there's another 200,000 that are coming from all directions to converge on Julius Caesar. Now you're Julius Caesar in this story. You've laid siege to the city and now find out that there's another 200,000 soldiers. You're already out, outnumbered, you got 80,000. You got 120,000 in here, you got 200 coming. If it was me, I'd say not a good time for a battle. We've done pretty good. I, I, listen, we can write some, let's go back to Rome, have dinner. What did Caesar do? He's a military genius. There's a reason why these guys exist in history. He looked at that and said, no, because if I let them take over Gaul, I've lost the entire campaign. And he said, it was important that he succeed here because he's got to go back to Italy and show that he triumphed because he wants to be the ruler. So he builds another wall, only a gene, a Napoleon and Alexander the Great would think this way. He builds another wall, two stories high, fortified to face the tribes that would be coming from the every direction to take him on. Now 
He is God himself between the two armies and he will have to disperse his forces to occupy this on a potential two-side attack. Got it so far? When they show up and attack, they nearly breach the wall. But Caesar is seemingly in this 11 miles, he's riding his own horse and he's going wherever the breach is and he's commanding the soldiers personally. Seem to be everywhere where there's a potential break. These guys come out this way. They come this way. They couldn't break in. They did break in for a moment over here, but the narrow pathway made it so that you really could hold because you had a narrow chamber. So he had 6,000 men to block that. And then he used the one advantage he had, cavalry, horses. He took his horses and he went around the back to this high ground over here. And while the armies of his enemy were here, he rode them down on the outside with his cavalry and they scattered in every direction, freaking out because they didn't know where these cavalry came from. The point of the matter is, he took on two forces bigger than him and defeated them because he innovated a way to defend himself and create an offensive advantage. And the Lord wouldn't let me leave that illustration. I kept looking at different YouTubes, looking at them going, what is this? And then I saw it. You see, in Colorado, you guys got flipped from red to blue because a strategy was designed in these seven spheres by billionaires and national activists who decided they would make Colorado the test case of how they could change America. Focus on the family was here with Dr. Dobson. What's the name of the pastor that, that fell that had the great church out here? New Life? Ted Haggard. World Prayer Center was here. Peter Wagner was raising money in Korea for a World Prayer Center. And the devil said, I'll flip the reddest of red states. And so he got three billionaires. One was an environmentalist fanatic. The other one was a gay fanatic. And the other one was just a progressive that wanted to take over. They put their money together and they said, look, we can't all get our agenda together. So let's just elect whoever we can elect and put in office who could beat a Republican. They won't always be ideal, but we'll get the ground. Once we get the ground, we'll make them more radical. We'll keep putting in our own people. But to do that, we're going to need to have um, a legal arm. We're going to sue them. And we're going to create scandals with our own media. We're going to create our own media companies. We will find their candidates, create scandals, publish the scandals, and then sue them based upon the scandals. And once the lawsuit's there in the paper, even if it's not legitimate, the branding of being sued or in court, like with Steve Bannon right now, is enough to slander their, their credibility as a candidate. And then we're going to go to the, I say it's like the church. We're gonna to go to all the people who wanna make a difference that are radical uh, liberals, and we're gonna get them to show up as teams and, pro and protesters and activists, and we're gonna create these 501c3s and these, uh, these small organizations we're gonna funnel our money into, and they're gonna be on whatever the hot button subject is in, a, in an area that we can get someone elected on. It could be on the, you know, social, gay, the gay issue, or it could be the environmental issue, or it could be even taxes, whatever, so long as we can deploy our own activists. And we will take over. They, they didn't know what hit them. The Republican Party had no idea what hit them. They had no strategy like that. 
They just had the old school candidate runs. Next thing you know, the whole state is flipped red. And they're celebrating it, meeting with, as Obama's taking on the role of becoming the candidate for the Democratic Party, the coordinators of the Colorado experiment shared the PowerPoint of how they flipped the state. And it was decided by Soros and others that this strategy could work if it was nationally done with Obama as the progressive president. And so community organizers emerged all over the country and this strategy of activists and lawsuits and journalism um, has been what we've been up against so that you're hit from all these different angles. And as long as we operate independent from each other, we become targets. We come together for a conference and we recognize each other, but the problem is we break the huddle and we don't act in a coordinated, sustained fashion. What I learned from Caesar is this is the national principality, this is the local one. You have to surround the seven mountains in Colorado, that's Elysium here. You have to challenge the church, create your own media outlets, have your own lawyers that are ready to counter sue or challenge what they do when they try to bully you. You have to have your own wealthy investors, philanthropists, and business people that get what is being funded. And you have to mobilize small groups of Christians, intercessors, prophetic activists who are going to work in a couple of different capacities, depending on how they need to be deployed. Could be the school board issue. Could be the precinct strategies. But you have to be able to have these groups that are ready to be deployed. And the secret is this unity that exists here and prayer, I believe, builds the intercessory wall and the unity of the, uh, of the people communicating with each other allows you to focus locally so that when they try to take you out locally, you can push back with power. They will come at you nationally and they'll work through the local, but it'll actually be the uh, Department of Justice or it'll be Washington using their leverage with your DA to come prosecute you. National will work against you in your own battlefield, but you're going to have to have a, a whole wall built around that because you've got your lawyers and you've got your funding and you've got your organization and you've got your multiple 501c3s or your 508s, however you want to organize it. Does this make sense? These are the high places and those high places are local. You got a strategy for your own universities, for your own schools, your own colleges, your own school boards, your own curriculum. You have to have a strategy for that. You have to have a strategy for how you're going to coordinate your own media, get the message out. Create a, an echo chamber, if you will, where we're saying the same thing, where we're, we're all aware of where the battle is. And like Nehemiah said, this is, this is, this is the Nehemiah strategy. He said, hey, if the battle breaks out really tough over here, I'm going to sound the trumpet, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all of you come to that one location. You have to have that set up where, where there's a breach, where the devil is threatening the state, the important elections, the school boards, the laws. You have to be able to have a noise that goes out so that everybody on the wall can converge with force and show up at that location. That's how you freak them out. getting to be really more uh, clear all the time. 
The gates of influence are the tops of those institutional influencers. And that's the reason why Christians ought to be the head and not the tail above and not beneath. You see how insidious and how smart the devil was to isolate us into be just be a, how only three to five percent of the people that go to Bible college actually make a living teaching the Bible. 90% of them are going to have to go out there and deploy themselves. It's better if they're trained here with the idea that they're going out to take territory. So, the gates of influence are under attack, but where's the church? Let me just challenge you on this. We talk about, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need to upgrade our language. This is kind of like 2.0, Seven Mountains 2.0. What is the church in the marketplace, the church in government? Well, I suggest to you that that word ecclesia is used for the word church. Ecclesia. But there's different forms of ecclesia. So let's just explore the space. I say the Apostle Paul, when he went out with his apostolic team, was actually a form of the ecclesia in action. It was a parachurch, or it was moving as a missionary team from the church going into impacting Corinth or Ephesus. There is the local assembly, and then there is the... Uh, what are the two words I'm thinking of? It's, uh, there's, it'll hit me in a minute. I haven't done this in a while. But there's a local sphere, and then there is the external sphere. The local church here is where the gathering is, but the apostolic uh, team, or the, the, the ecclesia that goes out as a, as a team could be, just catch this, all of these four, 501c3 companies, the Barton Wall Builders, stuff like me, we're actually operating like ecclesias because we gather together small groups of people and we pick a target and we go in and penetrate it. Ideally, we're impacting lives and culture and changing the way people think so that out of that comes church or a local expression of a body that is moving together in unity, but they're not the same thing. And I believe when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell, gates of influence will not prevail against it. I'd like you to see that gate right here as a place where we're called to get our people to the top of the mountain of influence. Think about this. We should have our people sitting at the gates. This is the vision Jesus has. I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Benjamin, Israel, Rebecca was promised in Genesis. You will possess the gates of your enemies. God's vision for the church isn't that we hide out from the assault of the gates. It's that we actually go into the gates. I will build my ecclesia local and go into all the world. Church goes into these gates of influence, and we meet the enemy in the gates. We meet the enemy in the gates. But now I just break it out. Look at the government mountains right now going to the midterms. You got Governor Mastriano there running, you got Colonel Mastriano running for governor up there in, in Pennsylvania. Born again Christian answering the call of God to get into the gate. Carrie Lake in Arizona. 
working to get into the gate. We have our people who are answering the call of God to go where the gates of hell are occupying influence. And when they get there, should they succeed, it'll be because the church here is behind the ecclesia here, working with the leadership there to occupy that gate. The words of Jesus, occupy till I come. The church doesn't know what the heck it's occupying. That's why it's focused on rapture. It makes sense if you don't know what you're occupying, you want to get the heck out of here. Meanwhile, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of nations. And we say, well, I don't want to get involved with Christian nationalism. I don't want to get mixed up with that nation stuff. Souls, yeah, we're all comfortable with souls. Souls is abstract. Get a person saved. Hey, we got these people saved. Maybe they get into a church. Maybe it's an underground church because it's China or North Korea or Islamic dominated. That wasn't the vision Jesus had in mind when he said, go make disciples of all nations. He was looking at something like we have, but since we didn't really understand we were ever discipling a nation, we uh, committed kind of like spiritual Harry Carey by quarantining ourselves to the church mountain. So I'm going to watch this movie. One of the, I was watching a Mighty Python flick the other night, and one of the guys has a whole scene where it's this professional wrestler who wrestles himself for the whole battle. I'm thinking, that's the church. <laughs> Fighting with itself right there. All right, so we've got the gates of influence right here. But I'm telling you, there's a local lineup of your own universities, your own schools, your own business community. We should be praying for God to raise up Karis graduates and friends, and those of you that are here and those of you that are watching online, we should be saying, how can we gather you together with others so that we can see the ecclesias forming that can go to the gates of Denver, Colorado Springs, start to get very practical. Whatever your geographic sphere of assignment is, is where God wants you to occupy the gates. This is the Jewish promise that was given to Abraham. You shall be the head and not the tail. You shall be above and not beneath. If people are confused about head and tail, it's above. Why do you think 2.5% of Americans are Jewish and they have such influence? They're your gynecologist, your ophthalmologist, they're your accountant, they're your lawyer. They're in comedy, they, they own the club. If they're in Hollywood, they're producers, they own the banks. Jews, why? Because they're trained. Be the head. It's a much better view than the tail. <laughs> Not to mention, we all have a persecution complex. This is deep inside of every Jew. I don't care how much Jew you've got. Every one of us is always suspicious as to what, when things are going to change. It's this dark, deep root of cynicism because of our entire history, we, the only way we survive is we make ourselves indispensable. That's why Jews have to be the best at what they do because they figure they'll be the last person killed. I mean, you think twice, why would you, like, yeah, why would you shoot your doctor? I don't know, maybe I need him. <laughs> this is a mess when you look at it this way.
Maybe we have this, uh, yeah, fix this. What? Oh, look at that over there. I'll tell you, these teens here at Andrew Womack, they're on their toes. I told them, it's a one whiteboard night. They knew better. All right, so let us say something to you. I want to talk to you about something completely different. I got this book out there. You got to get it. Because where we are right now is uh, right now between pages 15 and uh, 121. This is a prophecy for the next five years. And I wrote it. When I wrote the election will be stolen. We're going to, I even predicted three out of five states will be stolen. And I predicted what was going to happen with the ballots. I predicted what the news was going to do. It's shocking how far I went into the, the rabbit hole of saying what was going to happen. And I couldn't get a clear word as I had earlier on that Trump was going to succeed because I was wondering, will Trump succeed? What happens if he doesn't succeed? It was unacceptable to me. I thought, well, if he doesn't succeed, we're going to go potentially go into a depression. We're going to lose our military capacity. We're going to have anarchy in the streets. We may never get our, our, our freedom of speech back. There's a lot of consequences attached to that, which is why I'm so mad at the knuckleheads in the body of Christ who are putting their collective capacity, their writing and thinking ability into criticizing Christians that are too patriotic. Don't get me going on that right now. I have to pick my fights. The Billy Graham prophecy, this is part of the book. Because the queen died today. And, I'm gonna, and, and so the queen died today. And what that means is that a boundary item has happened. When a significant historical event takes place, if you study Clinton's convergence model and things have to do with destiny, it's an interesting study. Your life is boundary items. Those are, those are the moments when you look back in your journey, when you left this job or when you took that ministry or when you got married or when, and those moments really define in the Bible, the journey of a patriarch has these certain memorials and they literally make a marker to part the boundary. That was where I was when that happened. A significant boundary item happened when uh, Billy Graham died because he was 99 years of age and he was laying out there in the, uh, in the Capitol. And uh, all of the heads of state had to come to do homage because uh, he still represented something that nostalgically none of the Democrats or Republicans wanted to disrespect. And while I was laying there, I said, Lord, this is a boundary item. What does it mean? And I felt like the Lord said, it's the end of an era. The Billy Graham era where you have a, an evangelical who preaches Jesus Christ who is friends with seven consecutive presidents and golfs with them privately, that era is changing. You're heading into the era where government will become hostile to the Billy Grahams. You're heading into an era where government no longer is as friendly as it was and you're going to have to fight to be able to preserve your liberty. And I started thinking about Esther and the fact that uh, when Haman came over and took over government, it required somebody in the system like Esther and Mordecai to be able to influence who could be influenced and expose the plot that was there to destroy the liberty of the people of God. And I felt as though we were heading into that kind of a period of time where the Hamans are plotting your destruction and they're willing to slander you and label you MAGA, whatever. It's MAGA now, it'll be Christian whatever next. Why? Because of that Ahab principle, art thou he that troubles Israel? They're the ones that are screwing up the country and they're projecting it on you. You're the, everything, isn't it crazy what Biden said? These people, you know what they want? It's like they're going to mess with election integrity. The reality is election fraud is what Democrats do. They're going to try to take away the Constitution. No, these knuckleheads are taking away the Constitution. We're trying to keep it. 
They're going to take away your right to your right to life. No, we're trying to preserve the right to life for every baby they want to massacre. Do you understand what I'm talking about? It's the exact opposite. And nobody says anything. It's like, yep, yep. So that means the deception is pretty big. This book explains the market. Now, the queen has died today. That's a boundary item. That means she represents a period of British aristocracy and global influence that is about to change. So these things are historic markers. And you have to pray and say, well, what does that mean? Well, see what they represent and recognize what's changing. Anyway, I want you guys to be able to get that. Breaking spiritual controls, uh, breaking controlling spirits. That octopus is up there will try to get on your head. One way or another, that spirit will try to confuse you. You know the only way I can mess up the enemy? I found this out. When I pray in tongues, I'm bypassing my own confusion. It's a brilliant strategy. I remember I was at Trump Towers once, my second meeting with Donald Trump, and I'm getting there, I'm getting sucked into this, and I'm getting sucked in even more all the time. I know it, I can see it, I don't know, but it's, I'm not romanticizing it now. I know how yucky it is. That's why I know I'm ready for a promotion. So I'm meeting with Trump, and I'm at, at uh, Trump Towers, and we're talking about the racial issue, and we're talking about the inner city, and we're talking about, and I'm thinking of BLM and the riots and, and, the, and the violence in his rallies, and I'm going, what the heck am I doing here? I'm the Seven Mountains guy. The most that I am is a prophet that'll prophesy Trump's on his way. What am I doing at this table? I don't know anything about economics. I don't know anything about race. I don't know anything about inner city strife. I don't know anything about politics, really. Not really. I mean, I know enough to be able to talk about it, but I'm not a political animal. And you know what the Lord said to me? At the table, at Trump Towers, in the conference room. Every time you pray in tongues, you tell me this is what you want to do. Think about that. When you're praying in tongues, you're praying out the perfect will of God. doesn't mean you understand what you're saying. My tongues were walking me right into an ambush. And the more confused I got, the more I prayed in tongues. It was a glorious sabotage. Gates of influence. What gates are you assigned to take? What gates of hell are you called to take? Everybody needs to have gates of hell that they're up against. And uh, the head and not the tail above and not beneath. We should be talking to our kids. We should be talking to our children. We should be like saying to them, you know, I'm not ready to give up on, on, on America or, or, or what God's going to do yet. I think God could shake things down. I, personally, I think he could shake things right down to, uh, well, we won't go there yet. But what I'm saying is they should be thinking about being the head and not the tail. Because I remember Creflo Dollar put it this way once. It was so great. I was, I was really tired. I fell asleep. I was traveling a whole lot. And, and, and what happens with me is I put on like TBN or I put on a Christian channel and it's playing. But my spirit can detect the anointing. Hi, honey. I see my wife is here. How you doing? Hey, say hi to the people, will you? It's good to see you. Very colorful. What was I talking about? Oh, so I'm in, so anyway, I'm sleeping, but my spirit could detect an anointed utterance. I'm trained down here. When I pray in tongues, it's like a radar. I'm like a radar detector. Some people can find, Cousin Billy can find money. I can find a revelation. People have different gifts. And I'm laying there and all of a sudden, Creflo goes, well, I'm searching, I'm sleeping now. And my spirit heard every word he said and I could quote it verbatim when I woke up.
He says, well, I've been searching about a definition for the kingdom of God because it's very hard. Miles Monroe and various people have different definitions of the kingdom. And it's, you know, about the rule of God and the, you know, the sovereignty of God and God's. He said, well, I just prayed to the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost told me. It's simple. The kingdom of God is God's way of doing things. My spirit goes, Nick. God's way of doing things. This is what Andrew was talking about earlier. We don't have to make this about separation of church and state, religious mountain from the political mountain. Does the word of God have anything to say about how God does things? Does it have anything to say about how people can relate to each other, how you can handle money, how you can handle divisions and differences, how you can handle um, uh, problems of any sort? Listen, man, this whole book, here we go, six pages, three pages in, this is how far we got before we screwed up. The whole rest of this book is God fixing the mess. You should be going praying in tongues and meditating on God's way of doing things in finance. Then you'll go to the top of the education mountain, the top of the business mountain, the top of the mountain. Treat yourself like a Daniel or a Joseph. Immerse yourself in the expectation that God is going to give you superior insight on how things work because I promise you what they're doing is screwing things up. At some point after the leak is up to their waist or near their neck, they're going to call for a plumber that knows how to fix it. Even the heathen will not put up with incompetence once they lose heat, electricity, or food on the table. (laughs) Prepare yourself and prepare your sons and daughters to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. The Daniels and the Josephs. So God has a revelation up there. And praying in tongues is a large part of it. Meditating on the word of God is a large part of it. I'm convinced God wants to expand the capacity of his people. Now, let me just, I'm going to break out here for, for just 15 minutes here and I'm ending. I want to talk to you about something that's in my spirit I haven't taught yet. I'm going to submit it to y'all, maybe a little messy the first time I get it out because it's, it's a new revelation. But I remember first time I came down to Karis, I didn't know it was a Karis group. I thought cousin Billy does finance. I'm at a, at a hotel and I look it up in Denver or something, you know, with, you know, fireplaces in the room. It was a nice looking place. It was wintry. And I thought, well, how do I dress for a cousin's uh, little bit? Well, he's a business guy. Business guys are pretty okay. They're chill. And I had these leather pants I used to wear in Rhode Island because it's freezing cold up there. And I put on my leather pants, you know, because it's freezing cold there. It's free. I never get to wear them in Texas. So I kind of put myself together. I go down and I'm sitting in front of this rather conservative looking group. I don't know if they're paramilitary or what, but they all kind of had crisp, clean haircuts. And so it's, well, it was a whole bunch of Karis people there. Paul Milligan's sitting there in the front row and I just go through my leather pants and decide, I think I'm going to experiment on my Donald Trump message. And I start talking about Donald Trump. God's raising him up. I know he's a heathen. God chose it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Isaiah 45 says, thus says the Lord, to Cyrus, whom I've anointed, though you do not know me, you're going to go through the two leaf gates of Babylon. You sort it out. God chooses people that don't know him. He'll probably find them later on. But till then, he's on track. Now I'm doing this crazy message. Now I can see cousin kind of, hmm, taking the room in. Leaves our talks to, talks to Paul Milligan. Said, well, well, Paul, 
He's so shrewd. He acts like he's checking me out too. What do you think? Paul goes, well, he's an odd duck, but I like him. It was the leather pants that threw us off. Anyways, let me give you the revelation. I have, since my leather pant moment, I haven't had a moment like this. I want to drop some science on you here. Now, here's the deal. I believe we need to completely alter our expectation of what we're in because you see what I'm showing you here is not the classic religious church paradigm. Almost even now, when you hear people talk, well, I'm praying, I'm praying. We got the midterm election. Then they're thinking the second coming of Trump will drop down and airlift down from a cloud. <laughs> cast out all the demons and then revival will come. I guarantee there's a prophet somewhere prophesied that on YouTube. But you see, we're talking revival and we should be talking reformation. Now what happens is the revival puts the fire into the process because reformation is ugly. They're if we succeed in the midterms, all hell is gonna break loose. It's not gonna be pretty. It ain't gonna look like revival. But you need to know, it's gonna look like a reformation. Because in a reformation, all the demons are manifesting. In a revival, all the saints manifest. In a reformation, all the sinners manifest. Because a revival is about the systems, the mountains. And I'm sorry, Re Reformation is about the systems and the mountains. And revival is about the individual experience of God. Your individual experience is the personal revival. We call it personal revival. And revived people don't know what to do. They really don't. They just try to have a sustained revival because they don't know they're supposed to go into all the world. But you're supposed to take your revival into the formation of an ecclesia. Remember, ecclesia, it sounds like a vampire word, ecclesia. <laughs> so I hear it in America, I'm always going, ecclesia. Well, we say that in text, but it's ecclesia. <laughs> We're supposed to be forming these reformation visions, apostolic teams going in to the gates of hell, getting behind the believers, or a Cyrus Trump, and putting strong believers to the left and to the right of them. Because that Trump listens to the strong Christians. Weirdly enough, his spirit is more deserting than half the preachers that don't like him. All right. All right. Let me get over here to this board. Oh, look. We even have fresh magic markers. They thought of everything here, Andrew. All right, here's what I want you to see. The problem of the prophets. John... As a prophet, John the Baptist, I want to talk about this for a second. I believe our prophets are going to have to go up to the next level. I think we're kind of in a stage of adolescent prophesying right now. I think to a great extent the prophets have become hmm, prophetic Pez dispensers trying to give little predictions. <laughs> Ooh, prediction, prediction, prediction. Ah, the weather pattern coming up. Ooh, midterms are going to, and they're throwing these. And then if they get it right, they replay it for you later on. It's not exactly the Elijah mantle. And I think God wants us to go to the next level. I mean, I'm, I'm numbering myself among the prophets. I'm saying we got to go to the next level. Get beyond entertaining all of you with predictions. Because God may want a little bit of anxious ambiguity now and then. What I do now, thou dost not understand, but afterward you shall is in the Bible. 
So anyway, one of the problems prophets have is time zones. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. I'm going around my office and I find this, this cool little document and it shows these, these three mountains because I'm into mountains so it got my attention. And it shows like a prophet, a prophet. We'll take Zechariah. Zechariah. Hmm. Let's go to the old one. Yes. Sometimes the old ways are better. So the prophet could be talking about what's happening now. And I'll show you that. Where Zechariah's prophesying to the rebuilding of the temple that they were doing right there in Jerusalem. Him and Haggai go back and get the Jews to rebuild the temple when Cyrus told them to go rebuild the temple. This has been a great interest to me because God told me that Donald Trump was a Cyrus. He would be an unsaved secular ruler who would meet Jesus later on, but he was anointed to, get, to go to the gates of hell and break them up. I said, well, that doesn't sound very scriptural. The Lord said, that's your problem. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Thus says the Lord of Cyrus, whom I've anointed, though you do not know me. I go, oh, and the Lord goes, verily, I am a God who hides himself. To this day, what God's doing is, is hidden. He's playing peekaboo right now and letting us see some things. Prophets prophesy to what's happening now. But they could also prophesy to what happened when Jesus uh, arrived. So I'll give an example. The same prophet that prophesied about what's going on in Jerusalem now and what you have to do. He goes on and suddenly you've got this prophecy. If you're going to look this up later, you can go to Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. And he says, uh, behold, your king comes unto you, meek and lowly, riding upon upon a coal of uh, full of an ass. In other words, what you're going to have here in Zechariah 9, 9 is right in the middle of a prophecy. He switches time periods. And he starts going, he says, I'm going to cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the horse from Jerusalem. Oh, and the king's coming under the, uh, uh, having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the coal of full, full of an ass. And this prophecy is pro fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21. They even in Matthew 21 quote it to make sure you get the connection. So suddenly, the prophet is going for what's happening now, like around, I don't know, like 500 B.C. He's all the way up there to, uh, you know, the 30 uh, A.D. And then suddenly, he flips over that and starts talking about the feast of the last days is the Feast of Tabernacles. And if a nation doesn't come up and worship the Lord during the Feast of Tabernacles, now we're at Zechariah 14.6, he's in the millennium. He's got Jesus here. He's got what's happening now. He's got the millennium, or it could be the, uh, the day of the Lord. Frequently, they're seeing the Lord returning. And they're prophesying about the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all the ungodly. And there's, here's the point. The prophets don't always know which time zone they're seeing. They're seeing a time zone. And this, is, this is why people sometimes mess up. Well, did God say that? Did God show that? Well, maybe he did, and maybe you don't got the right timing on it. Then you know, like Zechariah does in the New Testament, he's praying to have a baby, and he's praying, must have been praying in faith, because eventually Gabriel comes and says, hey, your prayer got through, message was heard, going to have a son, and the old man goes, how is that possible? And he starts fighting with the angel over manifesting the answer to a prayer he had when he was younger. He fell out of agreement with his own intercession. The angel said, you know, you got a dangerous mouth on you, old man. I'm going to have to shut it up for a while. 
So you'll see this over and over again. Prophets will dance around. Isaiah prophesies Cyrus 125 years later, but then he's also drops back and prophesies directly to the enemies of Israel in his own day. Then he reaps forward to the, uh, to the return of Jesus or to the ministry of Jesus, you know, where, where he's bruised for our transgressions. You'll see these, I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is maybe it's not uncommon for us to confuse time zones and maybe God wants to update and recalibrate our thinking right now. Because we sure need to recalibrate the church to occupy. The reason why 25 million Christians don't vote is because they were trained by pastors that don't vote. All right, so I want you to see this. John the Baptist, Let's grab your Bible real quick. I'll finally go to one verse we have to read together. I want you to go to Luke. No, no, even better. Go to Matthew. What did, what did John the Baptist, the greatest prophet Jesus said that ever lived, what did John the Baptist see when he saw Jesus? This is part of the fire in his message. Chapter uh, 3, verse 8, or verse 7, he's got, goes to the Andrew Carnegie, Andrew Womack School of Statesmanship. Oh, generation of vipers. This is hardly a seeker-sensitive moment. <laughs> oh, you generation of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He sees wrath to come. Let me say something real clear. He sees what Jesus does in the last days, but thought it was coming in his day. The best of all the prophets, according to Jesus, missed it on the timing, but not on the vision. Watch this. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance, and don't say within yourselves who have Abraham as a father, because I say to you that God is able to bring these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that brings forth not forth good fruit is cut down, cut down, and thrown into the fire. Ooh, people are going, oh, my God. This is serious business. Is John going to do it? Or is he talking about the Messiah? There was this sense of imminent expectation that the ax was going to hit every one of them. That's why they're all repenting. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He'll mercy you with the Holy Spirit and fire. They're all going, oh, wow. This is no warm, cozy move of God here. Then he goes on and adds this. Let me tell you who's coming. His fan is already in his hand. He's going to thoroughly purge that harvest floor. And he's going to gather his wheat into the garner. But if you don't make it, he's going to burn you with unquenchable fire. And he's saying this under the spirit and power of Elijah. They're not thinking he's like an entertaining preacher or a novelty item. They're like freaked out. He's like, what? So what was John doing? I would suggest to you, John was seeing the second coming manifestation of Jesus in the earth. I think Jesus the judge is about to be manifest and we're looking for Jesus the comforting lamb. What if we're no different than my Jewish forefathers? We're thinking salvation and comfort is what God's got on the agenda. And what if the shaking is he's going to shake the nations because he's judging them. If they don't respond right, you're done next. You're done next. You're done next. What if we're hitting the moment when he's judging the nations? 
You're all staring at me like I'm preaching something weird. That has to be true. (laughs) So John the Baptist says this. So watch this. John the Baptist turns around. and, And in Matthew chapter 11, go to Matthew chapter 11. John's confused. Because what he saw was the end time ministry of Jesus. And what he's hearing is the first century ministry of Jesus. He's hearing the Lamb of God, not the Lion. And so what does he say? It came to pass, verse 1, Jesus made an end of his commandments. His 12 disciples departed to teach and to preach. And when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he's hearing about, hey, man, we're checking it out. What did he say? What's he doing? Winnowing fork in his hand. Is he doing it? They said, well, I saw these blind people that could see, and I saw these people that couldn't walk, and they're jumping around and dancing. He's going, well, what was he saying? Well, he's saying the good news is good news. Kingdom of heaven's at hand. The kingdom, and they're all rejoicing and happy. Yeah, they're, they're getting healed. He's just, he fed them. Supernatural fed them. Now, this was not John's picture. But understand, he saw the Lord coming in flames of fire, taking vengeance upon his enemies that do not know him and do not obey the truth. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Read it. It's in the Bible. He saw the future. Just wasn't what was showing up in his lifetime. So what does he do? John sends a message. Are you the one that's supposed to come or are we supposed to look for somebody else? Do you understand now why he said that? Because he saw Jesus' end time ministry and Jesus was giving the first century ministry. And he saw what was important to say, which is here's how he's going to wrap things up. But he's not going to wrap them up until he's made an atonement for the sins of humanity. So Jesus says to him, show John again. Show John again. Seems like this is a problem with him. He keeps on doubting. He's the one that saw the dove descend and heard the voice. He's doubting his own prophecies. Tell him the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who isn't offended by me. Imagine that. Jesus just offended, he's he's offending the angry prophet because he's being nice. Jesus is about to offend all the religious Americans because he's not being political. So what is, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say to you is what if the Lamb of God was what they didn't expect, they were looking for the Lion of Judah. And what if we're looking for this lammy, passive, disengaged, rapture-ready, laid-down lover, and God is saying, rise up and occupy. I'm coming to judge the nations. Now, suppose the ministry of the prophet is to be the prophet evangelist. Remember, John the Baptist was actually, I told Mario Marilla, I said, you know, you've actually got that John the Baptist thing because you're, you've got a bunch of sinners coming to your preaching, but really you're preaching a prophetic hard word for where America's at. I said, notice something interesting. You're really, everyone calls you an evangelist because we all think in such simple ways, you know. Soul winning must be an evangelist. But in fact, John the Baptist had the most evangelism going on in, in Israel other than Jesus. He had the multitudes repenting, confessing their sins and getting saved. The prophet was evangelizing them. And I said, I think that's what you're going to do, Mar. I think you're evangelizing as a prophet. I think I'm going to come alongside and join the party. And I believe that where we're at right now, 
just, just consider this. We've heard these verses tonight, I think prophetically chosen from Haggai or Haggai. I will shake everything that can't be shaken. Remember those words? The Lord says, I will shake everything that can't be shaken. Let me find Haggai here. Here we go. Let me ask you a question. Who's, who's delivering this message? A prophet. I think prophets are going to shake things up. But I don't think they're going to be the predicting Pez dispenser type. I think they're going to start decreeing things over nations, challenging world rulers, and drawing a line in the sand if they do not respond. That's what Elijah did. I will shake all nations, the prophet Haggai says. Then he says something interesting. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor. Speak to the guy in political office. And say this to him. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Remember, rebellious principalities and powers are in heavenly places. God says, I'm going to shake the heavens. I think he's going to shake hell and the gates of hell are about to go under siege. And when they go under siege, it's only hell in the heavens can get shaken because we've received an unshakable kingdom. So heaven can't shake. Only hell in the heavenly places can shake. And when they shake, earth's circumstances shake with them because they're connected. Speak to the governor and say, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and I'm going to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. God's getting involved with government. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strengths of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. The horses and the riders shall come down, every one by the hand of his own brother. And in that day, now we're leaping over. We're coming over to this end times. I'm going to take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, speaking to a company of people who are involved, evidently as believers in the government of God, doing God's governing work. I'm going to take you and make you as a signet ring, for I've chosen you, says the Lord. A signet ring is something which uh, has a, uh, uh, the ability to impress itself and its contours into wax so that it bears the image of the bearer and behind it is like a visa card authority. Whatever is imprinted there becomes an official proclamation. You put the signet ring into the wax, boom, and it becomes official. The prophetic move of God will raise up governing leaders, will raise up Christians in all these areas who will be part of a prophetic community that I believe will have the power to speak and impress into the hearts and minds of people the very words of God so they cannot shake the impression. That's what Finney, Charles Finney called the evidence of the endowment of power from on high. He said, miracles, yes. Signs and wonders, yes. All of that's augmented. But the ultimate demonstration of that power is the ability to speak but few words and fix an impression upon the mind of someone that they cannot shake. So it's as though God himself was speaking. My final verse is Joel. It doesn't look so easy now, but you guys understand what I'm talking about John the Baptist? He saw Jesus' return. He saw, Jesus, uh, he saw Jesus' ministry, his second coming ministry. He saw him coming back to the earth. He sees him in this period of time I think we're heading into right now. 
And for those of you that don't remember, go to that second Thessalonians and read, Jesus is coming back in flames of fire with angels in order to avenge all disobedience. This isn't a ministry of reconciliation coming. People say, well, you know, I'm worried about your lands with your dominionism. I'm not a dominionist because I don't have that much optimism about sinful humanity cooperating, but I think every nation ought to be delivered from the devil and it's their own fault if they don't. Because I don't believe God gave the devil dominion over the church. So if the nations were listening to the church, the devil wouldn't have dominion over them. But we can't make them do it, can we? So we are in the business of persuasion. But when Jesus comes back, He's in the business of dominion. And Jesus will come back in flames of fire. He is a flaming dominionist. And he sympathizes with people that think that way. As opposed to the cowardly, the reluctant, and the confused. So here's my hope. Lord, we're not in any place where this is going to be easy. Lo and behold, the whole world looks like it's going in the wrong direction. But there is a promise, and the promise is, it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters. See, we haven't entered into this one totally yet. We had a former reign at Pentecost, but the latter reign is about to be poured out upon the whole earth, and it's going to be such a deluge. You watch, it'll fill up the tank. That's why you got to get the word and the grain in you now. Because it's like miracle grow when that water hits. <laughs> it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And thank God God's sending Elijah in the, before the notable day of the Lord is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children because the focus of the outpouring is going to be sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Your sons and your daughters, your seed, your family is going to speak prophetically. Hey, your old men are going to dream dreams. Young men are going to see visions. And upon the, my servants and upon my handmaidens in those days will I pour out of my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens above. Now, please listen to me. I don't think, I read Jack Hayford said this once in one of my King James Spirit-filled Bible notes. It was so good. Oh, some of those little Jack Hayford notes. He said, most people miss that the prevailing characteristic of the last day's church, the ecclesia that God is calling out, will be a prophetic culture, a literal island of resistance operating in an ocean of humanity where they will hear and speak to one another exactly what God is saying and doing and they'll be the ones that know exactly what the mind of Christ is. But there's something else I said about the prophet's job. Remember that it talks about, uh, I'll show wonders in the heavens and earth and blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Well, look over here at this verse 15, chapter 3. Chapter 14 says, or chapter 3, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Souls, souls everywhere, nations, nations everywhere. And it's at the moment of the crisis of decision making. But God's spirit is being poured out so that they can make some decisions in the right way. The sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. But look at this. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is causing the shaking that Haggai says, I'm going to shake everything in heaven and earth? I suggest to you that it's the voice of the Lord. But who is the mouthpiece for the voice? Us. The Lord shall roar out of Zion. Zion is the word for the church. He's roaring out of the church. He will utter his voice from Jerusalem. It's coming out of the church. 
and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord shall be the, the hope of his people and the strength of his people. Let me just push the envelope now and let you meditate on it. I'm saying that God is coming to dwell in Zion, his holy mountain, that we are the mountain, we are Zion, we are the church, and that he's coming down in a prophetic outpouring to alter, upgrade us so that we become the voice of the Lord. And that as we prophesy what God is saying, it will be the invitation to nations and the administration of judgment over nations that do not listen to what God says. And God's not playing games anymore. And I thought about this. I thought, well, we're going to go to the end time harvest and go preach and evangelize. And, and I thought, well, what a second. What if the Lord does it this way? What if when we meet world rulers, the Lord gives us a word for them and that, that we let them know that from this moment on, God will judge their nation depending on how they respond to what God just said. Because what we are is ambassadors. And in the last days, God is going to send us to places where he is about, they've hit the tipping point and he's going to deal with them. And he's sending his people as a voice ahead of that. That's what the prophets did in the Old Testament. Anyway, I believe that what we're heading to now is, of course, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the signs and wonders of Jesus and the, and the end time harvest. But I would suggest to you to prepare yourself for an exhibition of the lion who is being sent to shake thrones and overturn dominions and remove principalities that have rebelled against him. And that a lot of the shaking on earth is because God's releasing something in the heavens and the end time outpouring will make you his mouthpiece as an agent in that transaction. And I believe that that is what the Bible teaches. I just gave you Bible verses. And that many of us are just expecting, well, a harvest, a nice, a, a nice Jesus manifestation, and then we go in the rapture. I think God wants to have some nations shaken up. And you know what? I want to see America saved. But, but I'll tell you the truth. I think America is so messed up right now that it might be like we're like, I wrote this in two books, so it must be the truth. <laughs> Sounds weird, but two books the Lord said, put it in here. Paul's journey to Rome to testify to the government. He was a prisoner because his anointing and authority put him on a collision course with earthly rulers. So he ended up getting stuck in the court system, having to go to Rome. And they were on a ship and he is being treated like a prisoner, but the centurion recognizes he's a different kind of character. He has favor with the local government. And, uh, they're about to take off and he prophetically sees this is the wrong time, wrong choice, don't do it. He prophetically sees what's in the best interest of him and those that are with him. He's got spiritual authority over what's happening, but not natural position. So he's got a problem. He can't make his will be done. So he says, sirs, I would stay in this port if I was you. I perceive that if you take off, if you, do, if you, don't, if you don't listen to me, you're going to not only lose cargo. I could see, I, I've got, I could see it. This cargo, all your economics are going to be lost. Your ship is going to be busted up. And it's a high probability everybody's going to drown. Whew. Wow. Well, they go have a meeting. The owner of the ship, the captain of the ship, and the centurion. You got the government. You got the business. You got the uh, people invested in it. What do you think? They think, I think he's a religious fanatic, frankly. <laughs> well, let's just take a vote. We're all going to leave? Okay, we're going to leave. They take off. 
Paul is a prisoner on board the disobedient ship of state. So this is highly instructive for us. His destiny, unfortunately, is somehow affected by their mismanagement. Look, you believe God for carrots, you got this beautiful thing going on, you got a school, you got partners, you got, and all of a sudden the stupid government starts to put you into a financial fiscal cliff. Whole nation starts going into chaos. Well, you're on board the ship. You're affected by what they're doing. You are numbered with the transgressors. So what does Paul do? He goes to praying. He goes to praying because his destiny cannot be aborted by their disobedience. It's important that you're in alignment with your heavenly assignment. So he's saying, man, angel breaks through. The angel shows up. Paul, I have been sent by Almighty God to tell you that uh, you have an appointment in Rome and I'm going to get you there. Now, the Lord's in a good mood today and he's giving you all them that are sailing with you now because you've got to get to Rome, i got to get all of them to Rome. <laughs> Understand, basically, that's angel interpretation. That's what he was saying. He's telling them, I gotta, you're like the FedEx package. i got to deliver you and evidently, you know how God is, i got to deliver all the rest of them too. <laughs> so... It's not easy. There's an island. Things are going to break up. That's all I'm going to talk about now. So Paul goes, whoa. He had travailed and prayed his way into apostolic deliverance for himself and his deliverance spilled over to the deliverance for the disobedient. That's why America's biggest solution is the thing they demonize the most, you. So they go on. Paul says, hey, take some courage, folks. Take some courage. Because an angel just came. He's testifying to them. And they have so little hope, they're ready to hear the gospel. I mean, you know, a month earlier would have been stupid. But right now he goes, hey, man, I got angels visiting me downstairs. You won't believe it. Oh, boy, I got angels. And the angels said, we're going to make it. Now the ship's going to go fall apart. Don't worry about that. You're all going to live. Get something to eat. And, the, and they all rejoice. That's how desperate the situation was. They're going, hey, man, he met an angel. Thank God. It's better news than I've been hearing. When, they, when the ship breaks up, they were thinking of killing Paul. Shows you how human nature is so weird. But because if he is, any prisoners escaped, then in Rome, you gave your life for a prisoner escape. So they were going to kill all the prisoners and remove the risk. But the centurion saved Paul's life, which means don't fall into the infatuation of demonizing government. Because it was Paul's relationship with government that saved his butt. So the centurion, seeking to save Paul, said, no, don't kill him. So they all swim to shore, blah, 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 blah. You know what happens. Paul gets to shore. They make it to shore. They're soaking wet. It's freezing cold. It's not the best timing, but they're alive. Paul's walking around, helping put a fire together, doing what a good Christian does, help solve the problem. He doesn't say, look, I'm going to stand here and pray, get lined up with heaven. He goes and picks up sticks. While he's picking up sticks, a viper comes out, fastens on him. I'll tell you this. The media will demonize you no matter what you do. I believe the Lord showed me that viper is toxic advertising. Because he gets bit by the viper and all the islanders see it. And immediately they think he's evil. They think there's something wrong with him. They think he's singled out as being particularly cursed. Because he's the only guy 
who could survive in a random shipwreck and get killed by a poisonous snake as he swims to shore. <laughs> Paul shakes it off into the fire. He doesn't say, I can't believe these things always happen to me. He shakes it off. <laughs> like par for the course, shipwrecks, night the deep, viper bite while I'm trying to help people. Thank you. <laughs> but they're watching him because the media because the persecution gave him a platform. And so now they're watching him and he doesn't swell up. He doesn't die. He doesn't swell up. He doesn't die. And the chieftain on the island has a father-in-law who's sick with a disease. And he says, is there something different about you? Would you? Can you do something with him? Absolutely. Goes in, lays hands on him. The guy gets healed. Now he's got the government, the government's father. He's got the government treating him like a celebrity. And everybody who was treating him like a prisoner is nervous because Paul pretty much controls what's happening. God gave him authority over everyone that was on the ship and then God gave him authority over everyone on the island where he went, where God will take us in this next hour if we'll be obedient and endure the contradiction is an expansion of the measure of rule that we'll have within the sphere that is attached to us. New ship comes, he gets on board the ship, goes to Rome and completes his trial. Paul's unfinished destiny saved the lives of everyone around him. I believe we need to be praying for the unfinished work of the American church. And we need to be praying for the unfinished work of the United States. Because America's gotten off track. It's promoting lesbian, transgender ideology globally. It's putting the LGBTQ flag, even the BLM flag, up with our national flag. And God is taking that down coming down so I'm done I'm sorry I went over but I had to get it out of my system I don't know when I'm gonna be back again how should we pray can I pray that the Lord will will speak to you and me in far more clarity than ever before that we'll be hearing with far more clarity and let us pray that in this next season you are receptive to the relationships that he puts into your life that will form the ecclesia. When we met together, David Barton and, 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 and uh, Billy and, and Andrew, and when we, when we started talking about truth and liberty and we started talking, it was the right people in the conversation and we have the right people in the room, things get clear. I wanna pray for every one of us that we are able to identify our tribe, our company, because I think it accelerates your access to what the Father's saying. Would you put your hands out? And Father, I pray in Jesus' name, all these that are here and watching are hearing the sound of your voice. They're drawn to something. Now I pray you'll take uh, that which I've spoken and you'll, you'll sort it out so that the part that is beneficial will sink in. But I pray for the great magnet of the Holy Ghost to draw to every one of us those who we need to be connected with. I pray that you help us to shake ourselves free from the entanglement of even the good things that are no longer the vital and necessary for the future things. Even the activities of the people and the projects that were in their season, fruitful but not part of the new season. I pray that you help us to prune the tree, deliver our foot from entanglements, and align ourselves with that which you're doing next. Oh, I pray, Father, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. 
And I pray that you will pour out the latter rain at the time of this latter rain and that in this latter rain, the prophetic voice will come forth with clarity, power, and that you will shake the heavens and the earth in a way that will bring glory to Jesus and increase to the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory to God forevermore. Andrew, Mario and me, no, it's good grammar. Mario and me, or Mary and I are, are doing a two-day event at the Hertz Arena in uh, Florida, Naples, Florida. We decided that we were going to just go grab this arena. It's 8,000 people. It's October 24th and 25th before the, the midterms. But I'm just asking you all to, to put on your radar and pray because we feel a different kind of populist gathering has to happen. I've been in the Flashpoint conventions. We've done that. I've been in Clay Clark's Reawaken America tour. I've been in uh, all kinds of, of uh, these types of meetings. But I think there's, that there's something about bringing the, the Trump harvest in. These people that love him, that don't know him, are going to come to these, these rallies. We're going to have Governor DeSantis possibly there, Marco Rubio, who knows? Maybe the president himself will want to get involved. But I see something coming. I'm not waiting on those pastors. I believe their people will put pressure on the pastor. Because, you know, when you're leading a parade and the parade takes a turn, you've got to get in front of it. And so I see the populist movement needing the baptism of the Holy Ghost and salvation. I think we've got probably 20 or 30 million recruits we could be bringing into this activist movement. And if they come in as Trump, unsaved Trump people that believe in God but don't know Jesus and get them saved and filled with the Spirit, we'll be raising up an army the likes of which the devil has no way of controlling. They're going to need terrorists. They're going to need Bible school. They're going to need government. They're going to need truth and liberty. They're going to need all kinds of stuff. But the only part of the vision we got is that we got to do a different kind of evangelism. And it has to be riding this political wave. We cannot be bashful and back down. We got to lead it. And boy, are they going to call Christian, they're going to have a Christian nationalism Tourette's breakdown right there when they see that. <laughs> anyway, they shouldn't have taken me off of YouTube. That was the problem. Thank you. Thank you, Lance. That was amazing. So um, I just want to say that at the end of the conference, we're going to have a contest. Anybody that can interpret this will get a prize. Speaking of prizes, so if you sign up during this conference to be a new Truth and Liberty member for the first time, you can go to our booth in the back and claim this free gift. I didn't know if I made that clear last time, so I wanted to mention that. Uh, so also, we're going to have prayer ministers uh, come forward and be available tonight for you. Uh, and if you need prayer, please feel free to come forward and let them agree with you. Online, if you're watching online, you can call into 719-635-1111 and uh, trained prayer ministers will agree with you there. Hey guys, please don't leave your items in the auditorium overnight. Uh, if you do, they'll be uh, moved to the Lost and Found which is located in front of the Haven Cafe on a bistro table. And then also when you're leaving tonight, as you go out down past the security building there at the end of the driveway, you'll have two lanes to turn right. Make sure you take advantage of both of those. And then when you get up to the traffic signal at Highway 24, there's two lanes to turn left. So make sure you take advantage 
of both of those so the traffic can move uh, smoothly. The cafes and bookstore and our resources area are all open now, so please feel free to take advantage of those. Check out the booths and our exhibitors uh, uh, tonight on your way out. Tomorrow, worship starts at 8 o'clock a.m., Worship at 8, and then uh, uh, we're going to have David Barton, Mario Murillo, Janet Folger-Porter, and Pastor Rob McCoy, and that's just the morning session. So it's going to be awesome, guys. And uh, I just feel like the Lord wants me to say one thing now as we close. If you're here tonight and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I want to invite you to come down and talk to one of these prayer ministers and let them lead you in the prayer of salvation. The same thing also is if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, you can receive that tonight as well. These ministers are available for you. Good night, guys. Thanks for coming. We'll see you in the morning.